Welcome to a radical discussion of independence, free will, liberty, and the left-hand path. This is Damon Ossifer with your host, Paul Frederick. Welcome, friends and fellow Damons, to another episode of Damonosophy. And today, my guest is uh, Mr. Tobias Churton. Uh, Tobias is one of uh, Britain's leading scholars of Western esotericism, a world authority on Gnosticism, Hermeticism, Freemasonry, and Rosicrucianism. Holds a master's degree in theology from Bracenose College, Oxford. He's also a poet, composer, filmmaker, and a longtime uh, television career with the BBC, which I just found out about. So, uh, Tobias, welcome. We're going to talk about some of your books, too, um, Alistair Crowley in England and Lost Pillars of Enoch, but I think I want to know more about this television stuff first. So, so welcome. Welcome, okay. Tobias. Hello. Nice to see I don't know if I'll be seen by anybody, but uh, if not, uh, thank you for listening. Oh, you will. You will be seen. You will be seen. Oh, right. and you will okay. be heard. We're, we're going to make. Well, sure I'd, that. Have, I'd have put a suit on. No, you look great. You look. All you right. look wonderful. You look marvelous. So I just, I just learned as you were telling me before we uh, got on here that um, you're responsible for making a uh, one of the. Uh, popular or one of the first ever Gnosticism series on uh, BBC. Uh, could you tell us a little bit, a little bit about that? Your involvement with that and and TV career. Uh, I was going to be a priest. That was my intention uh, oh. in the church, and uh, they found my approach to religion too difficult to handle. Uh, the Church of England. So I decided to put my energy into television as a as an alternative so I, I got involved with religious television in Britain in the early 80s and my aim was to really revolutionize the whole field from being sort of hymns and uh, very conservative sort of programs to investigating investigating religion and uh, it, this culminated in 85 87 period it was a long series but very expensive series called Gnostics which was a history, first ever history of Gnosticism in the world. And um, we went all over the world. We found the guy who found the Nag Hammadi Library, the great Gnostic library of Upper Egypt. We interviewed him in Upper Egypt. I, I came to New York and interviewed Hans Jonas, one of the great masters of Gnostic studies. And it was a terrific series and it, it won awards. And uh, the book I wrote to go with the TV series was uh, a bestseller in England, and that was the beginning of my writing career, age 26. And um, I started at the top, and I think, as Orson Welles said, I was been working my way down ever since. <laughs> um, anyhow, uh, if you're going to make your name in something very transgressive, uh, like the Gnostic uh, uh, tradition, esoterica, in England anyway, uh, you are kind of punished for it by the establishment. And uh, there's only so much that any establishment will take. And um, 
I, I sort of had the feeling I'd rather fallen foul of some of the, of, of the forces at work. And uh, I, I paid, a, paid a high price for that success. And it took a long time to build up a, another career uh, in al almost completely devoted to writing, which was funny because I always wanted to be a writer anyway. And it, the road to it was very long and difficult. But uh, it gives some little indication of my 45 year, I think it is, career to date. Uh, 25 books and umpteen films and goodness knows how many film scripts and wow I I couldn't possibly and people often say couldn't you tell me about what you I said no it would take all day to tell you about right I've been trying to I've been trying to uh, as a one man band really alert the world to the power of spiritual traditions especially those called esoteric and to clarify understanding of those traditions because there's so much rubbish talked to or trash as you say in america there's so much trash talked about these subjects and there's so many excessive uh, people confuse issues and and all that so mm -hmm. I, I, my, my thing is to is always been to get to the bottom of things to really find out what the truth about them is and to relay that as clearly as possible to right. the what I call the intelligent layperson, uh, people are not necessarily professionally involved as scholars, but who want to know um, about things that have been discovered. Uh, it's been such a rich period since the Second World War, World War II, uh, of revelation. Uh, everyone has heard about the Dead Sea Scrolls or the Nagamadi Library, but the objective investigation of religious consciousness has really been uh, tremendous push uh, tremendously enhanced in the last 50 60 years and i'd say in the last 20 30 particularly and then you can actually see on a graph the amount of academic papers that have come out these days on subjects like alchemy which is the yeah. subject of my latest book yeah uh, not wow. latest to come out but the one i'm working on at the moment yeah so so let's um so so let's pause there for a moment um because I, I i agree with what you're saying in this time period this post-war time period um and um even um I, I think even like leading up to uh world war ii get back to world war one and, and and kind of around in there there's like a huge like sort of explosion of like information deviating from these traditions that had really sort of ruled sort of dominated um thinking in the west for just you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of years and um and you know and i'm thinking of things like you know like like blavatsky and crowley and then and and uh and uh gurdjieff and people like that and then you even get into like fiction fictional you know fiction things like uh you know um uh, yeah, H.P. Lovecraft is something I like to think of, like he's had like some kind of like influence on things and, and all this stuff is like happening around this similar time period. And even now today, we if people find themselves going back looking to that um, as well as, um, you know, where they got their resources on. So my question then to you then is this time period, do you think that there are certain um, factors? What, what factors do you think contributed to that? um like social like political factors economic factors why that explosion of information there now 
Well, I think obviously the technological means of transmitting information are terribly important. The very fact that we're Skyping each other, you're in Texas and I'm in the middle of England is yep. an incredible thing. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the openness to the subject matter, I think two world wars have a lot to do with it. Um, it, it. European and Western culture after the end of World War II was a bit like a figure who had no clothes left. They'd all blown off in the tumult and the, the horror and thunder of these pointless wars. Um, and what was left really what was left was uh, a, a greater sense of realism in some people anyway uh, to looking is there anything left from the shreds of faith and spiritual awareness left that a bomb can't destroy is that this is just my way of responding to a question i'm not saying this is the answer to your question because sure. you know it's too big a question to answer in simple words but I, I think that um, people have been more willing to open their minds to alternative explanations and there has been a corresponding decline in authoritarian uh, religion mm -hmm. um, in, in the Western world, more so in Europe and England probably than parts of America. And people have been, uh, have been as ever, they, as they always have been, if they've had the leisure to search. There's been a great deal more leisure, of course, since the war. People mm -hmm. have more leisure to, to, more people have more leisure. There was always a class of leisured people. More people have had more leisure to investigate the other verities. And the means of transmission have become more available and people have, more people can read, for a start. Uh, there are far more books available publicly than there used to be to the general public if they want to read. Um, we've had television, which I think has really uh, made far more impact than even cinema did. Cinema was still a spectacle you went to see, like a circus or a theatrical performance. Television has invaded people's minds to a great degree, and th those minds are ticking over with so many images and stuff. Uh, I'm not saying that the content of the television has been any way beneficial, but it's been a kind of an assault on consciousness. And some people have responded to it with a kind of alacrity and a feeling that this is a great age to start thinking and communicating and being direct. And other people, of course, have reacted to it and said, well, I want to go back, you know, like the, um, the Russian Orthodox Church is currently doing in Moscow, which is they hate the Western liberalism as they call it, uh, sinful, you know, that the whole Western world's gone sort of mad and liberal and crazy and they don't they know that homosexuals should be uh, executed or locked up or prevented or ashamed or et cetera, et cetera. And all of that has, has you know, we've got, you've got all this going on and, and, and sol certain solitary individuals perhaps are seeking um, a meaningful spiritual solution to their own existence and, and uh, are driven to wonder how humanity has come to this what for many people is a semi-apocalyptic i.e. A, a, a culture on the verge of a revelation or a disaster um, state 
and of course, a lot of it's just literally the impetus of, of, of technology, of, of communication technology. I'm not sure we have the brains today to deal with this much information. I know that a reaction to a lot of people I know to the current events, which are upsetting us deeply, yeah, uh, is to right. pretend it's not there, it's to switch off. We think right. we can switch off like this cancelling people. But even though we're switched off, we know somewhere else is switched on. And there is a, it, I do think that the, the plus side of the information revolution, which has been growing through the 20th and 21st century to incredible degree, the plus side is there is more information for those who want it. The negative side is it's very difficult for people who are not trained to deal and assess uh, the value of any particular piece of information that comes along. I have tried in my work to, to make a sober assessment of, of some new material, which has a bearing on the spiritual nature of man and his place, her uh, place obviously, uh, in, the, in the universe. So what? So I, I I do have to pause since we we mentioned like two world wars and we're talking about apocalypse and 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 some things like that. Um, what do you think of what's going on right now? I mean, okay. we're having to have this conversation with uh, the Russian uh, Ukrainian conflict uh, going on right now. Do you have any any thoughts on that? Well, personally, I'm uh, considerably frightened and unnerved. I'm waking up in the middle of the night with a kind of profound pit in my stomach of, of a kind of vacant uh, horror that such a thing can be going on in reality today. Um, if you don't obviously want my, well, I think, I mean, I let, I wrote some letters to the Times about it, uh, newspaper, huh? but they weren't published. Right. Uh, so I, I did. I felt that I and I feel that the way we have been dealing with these situations is not terribly wise. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, one of those unfortunate situations where a lack, a small lack of wisdom can be catastrophic. Mm -hmm. uh, it's no good standing up saying so and so is evil, so and so right. is bad. Um, they have broken the rules, etc. Okay, anyone can see that. What are you going to do about it? Right. My my parents lived through the Cuba missile crisis, mm -hmm. and uh, what is little known is, although it was reported at the end of the crisis that the Russians had backed down, that isn't the whole truth. In fact, Russia and America had made a a secret, more or less secret deal that there would be no American missiles in Turkey. And that was for the Russians, that was a face saving device. And on the ba basis of that, they were prepared to move the missiles out of Cuba. Now, it seems to me that whether you're dealing with, you know, a Khrushchev, whatever, whoever it is, or a Putin, if you're going to make a deal, there has to be an exchange, an mm -hmm. advantage to both sides. And it seemed to me in the negotiations that have been going on, um, I heard a great deal about this principle of NATO that the anyone should be able to join it. Well, the, the principles in these circumstances are frankly worth, they're just paper. Right. An alliance is a necessary thing that nations and peoples form when they're under stress. They mm -hmm. have to form an alliance. But NATO has become a, an institution. 
and therefore it has it's almost got creed almost like a church it has these principles which must not be broken mm-hmm. um well i would say in a in a, in a real pol- real politics situation uh there are some principles which you you're going to have to trade mm-hmm. the fact the fact that there is evil on this planet will as far as i can see will never change the entire structure and this goes back to the main thing our conversation should be about the the structure of the cosmos is totally dualistic mm. there is black there is white there is right there is wrong there is left there is right there is male there is female there is any aspect of 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 right down to the micro level positive negative forces you can't have one without the other if you have a saint you are going to have a sinner mm-hmm. if you have if you have a great man you're going to have a pathetic person if you, you this will always be the case the moment you think you're over this that you've conquered the problem mm-hmm. the problem reemerges in a new form Mm-hmm. Uh, you you can put names this this is this is eternally the same and it operates in every human being at every aspect of nature it it you cannot uh, defeat evil yeah you know this is and that is what the whole apocalyptic literature of 2000 years ago was trying to say was well if the entire cosmos is wrapped up by god uh, at some point it's all wrapped up then in that destructive process destructive of matter and cosmos uh, good will triumph and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth i mean this is the promise of jehovah's witnesses and the promise of a huge amount of evangelical religion that god intends to justify his essential goodness by eventually ending it the trouble is with these believers is they seem to think it's their business to uh, aid the process mm-hmm. and and they look at every uh dangerous circumstance that occurs in the world through the magnifying lens of television and so on they look at it as yet another example of biblical prophecy uh the, this is a this is a very dangerous road to follow if you study the apocalyptic literature which i have in very great depth over many years these liter- these literature this literature was written to combat particular fears at particular times The other thing people forget about apocalyptic literature is that it, at the time it was written which is mostly 2nd 3rd century BC and there's a certain amount in the 1st century as well um apocalyptic was actually taken as a positive thing because it was it was comforting to know that despite the horrors uh, that were being visited on certain peoples by the Roman empire uh, or whatever empire was threatening another free people or semi free people that god was in charge and that he would eventually um wrap it all up and uh, the the wicked would be sent to hell and the good would be justified i suspect today that while this might be an attractive view for some people and and quite for a simple mind i i think quite a good solution <laughs> it hasn't happened has it you know um this second coming so called hasn't happened and i think realistically today we are, we're beginning to understand that the second coming if it means anything to us uh thinking people is when a person wakes up not necessarily the planet or the cosmos when a person wakes up and takes a new uh, approach to to reality and which is a much more difficult thing altogether 
than expecting God to do it all mm -hmm. for us. So, yeah, uh, I think every participant in this conflict is in some kind of illusion, uh, ev everyone uh, right. who's involved with it at some level. And I'm all I can say is thank goodness nobody, I, <laughs> I, I may have been able to help a certain period of time ago, but I think they're, 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 they've now taken it to a point where I, I can only hope that the need of survival uh, preaches sense. Right. Uh, that's yeah, and say. you know, it seems when you when you talk about that that struggle between the struggle between good and evil and how that like takes place on a, I mean, that exists like on a cosmic level, that exists on a personal level, and it seems like what happens in 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 ordinary humanity, let us say, that when they go out to fight against evil and struggle against the chaos, what happens is they end up becoming like a part of that. They just end up becoming a part of that chaos. They end up having to do the same atrocities in, 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 in order to, you know, fight it back. And, and, uh, and, and in the end, nothing ever changes. But what is suggested by um, what, I, what I think of as esoteric knowledge or maybe like these, these deeper teachings out there is that the key to this is an in, internal personal struggle that has to like take place first. And that's the significant thing. That's where there's like such a thing as maybe um, rather than triumphing over evil, what happens is by the struggling against struggling against that, one experiences a another um, sort of uh, path of evolution or or initiation, and we start having to use esoterics, more esoteric sort of uh, terminology um, to to um, to talk about it. Um, I think that, the, yeah, oh. I think that the 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 mass of humanity uh, are are not at that stage where they can embrace that. Oh yeah. And, and so that, that isn't notion. that isn't that that's also an ancient thing, too, though. And, and maybe this is getting now we're getting like into the theme of your book. There was a time when that was like maybe more more common or as you say that there's a there's a blending of of um, what do you say science, science and religion um, where that was more common. But now we're in a we're in a, a phase of humanity, which has been going on for a really long time where that's the minority. Right. Where that's just a small that 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 body of knowledge, esoteric knowledge, is has been small for a long time for some reason. Yeah, well, I mean, we're at, I suppose you could argue that we're at a high point of materialism. Mm -hmm. um, not so much maybe in what people's personal beliefs are, but our culture anyway is entirely based on acquisition, property, uh, uh, possessive uh, possessions. And uh, but more fundamentally than than that, which is all rather understandable way people seek their security is that our concept of the reality is materialistic. We think it's all basically matter. Now, whether this matter is mysterious um, sub atomic powers or whatever, we're basically thinking it's it's sort of material. It's all stuff that can be analyzed and measured. And uh, we're made of this stuff, and that's pretty well all it is. And there isn't a there isn't a dimension 
which is independent of space and time. Whereas the Gnostic tradition, which I've been uh, investigating for so long, suggests the, very strongly that there is a dimension which is independent of uh, space, and not entirely independent of space and time, uh, an analogous in a way to space and time. Um, and if this is the way forward for science and humanity, then, then I want to promote it because we conceive around us the results of materialism. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's, it's, it, materialism is, is what appeals to the first stage of childhood. You know, my mouth is open, I want to be fed. Mm -hmm. And it should be that as people grow older and more mature, that other sensibilities come to the fore and they realize that, as Jesus said, man cannot live on bread alone. Mm -hmm. And that uh, we need, in fact, spiritual sustenance because all, all that is of this world inevitably perishes. Mm. Why, why some people want to hasten that process, I do not know because there's so much to be learned from living in this world as it is. And, and, and it, it's a beautiful experience at, at the best of it. Um, why are there always people trying to spoil that? I don't. I, I, I've never really understood that. I'm, we can talk about dualism, but I, 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 you see it in families. You know, you get one person who's positive-minded and tries to do good, and the other one ends up in a criminal penitentiary. And you mm -hmm. can't really. They had the same upbringing, but they went different ways. And mm -hmm. yeah, you know, it's 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 life's full of these these tragedies. You know, so I, I, it's, it, the, the, the truth and the answer to all these problems have always been there, but, the, but people aren't always in the right place to see it. Sometimes right. it com comes to people after a shock or a shock of reality. I'm sure there are people who are going to wake up after, hopefully after this current crisis and that's going to actually make them see that there are certain more important things than what they were obsessed with before. Yeah. Um, uh, and that is what we were talking about before. I think after World War II, you had this new generation of people. There was a kind of flowering in the 1960s of a rather slightly lost, slightly lost generation. But they had their own, they had their own um, pointers. They had their own poets. They had their own singers. They had their own music there. And of course, the culture of the 60s was a, a youth culture, uh, which embraced a lot of people, had great diversity in, in it. And, and it was a tremendously positive force. Um, it's been tragic to see the the decline of youth culture. Uh, I think this process began more or less in the 80s, I suppose, um, when vast numbers of young people decided that, ah, uh, you know, I want to be a material girl or I'm going to wear red braces and be a stockbroker, and that's the <laughs> way forward. And, you know, the bonfire of the vanities and all that. Um, but it hasn't led anywhere. I think the, yeah, I think the, the 80s glam and all that. I was in New York in the 80s. I was watching it and I watched a lot of lost young men, you know, particularly uh -huh. in New York, in Manhattan. I watched them. When you asked them questions about what they were doing, you know, there was a great insecurity underneath it, underneath the bravado and the, uh -huh. chewing, and the chewing gum on Wall Street. Underneath that was a spiritual emptiness, which... Yeah they were being encouraged not to look at. Well, I think we're face-to-face right. -face now with that uh, right. spiritual emptiness. No, there was a big guy uh, that, that there, um, 
So uh, someone once commented to me, commented to me that that was like the 80s is probably the bleakest time in America to become interested in any sort of spiritual spirituality. That's why I came over. <laughs> <laughs> I was amazing. You know, we had we had an actor, wonderful actor, Nigel Harrison, dressed up as the Gnostic Jesus walking down the streets of Manhattan. Literally, no one knew there was a camera. 200 yards behind in the costume based on a William Blake painting of the risen Jesus uh -huh. with blonde curly hair, which is based on the first ever image of, of the savior in, in Roman iconography, uh, spouting down the street, the Gnostic gospels. It was quite incredible. And that was right at the, uh, absolutely at the height of, of Reagan, Reaganomics. 1986, uh -huh. we, we filmed that. And we we also took him to Sheep's Meadow in, in Central Park West. And, and it was really an amazing thing to do because I knew and I, I, I was young and ready to do it. I knew I was planting something so antithetical to the culture as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, it was almost like a magical act to put him there and, and say this stuff. And uh, it was it was remarkable. Yeah, of course, you were aware. You were aware of the buoyancy of, uh -huh. of of the of the Reaganomic era, yeah, and, and I I totally understand people who found it uh, a, a turn on, uh -huh. you know? but it was quite plain to me that it was going to end in a you know a vacuum, right? Yeah, as all 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 great parties must uh, come to an end, <laughs> as they say. Um, so so let me ask you, let's let's go back and, and, and let's go back to. Uh, before prior to the 80s a little bit so lost pillars of enoch like this book like takes up a timeline that's like very like early on and um this idea of uh this idea of these two pillars of enoch that are a survival of knowledge like from a pre antediluvian from a pre uh flood, flood, flood yeah. pre last last apocalypse if you were a survival of knowledge from like an even much older world that is just beyond all of our uh, current knowledge can you talk a little bit about what the quality 